Life is good when your prisoner of war camp is run by the Monopoly guy. This is Grand Illusion. Hey! Hey! Welcome to Seen and Heard. This is the podcast where two entertainment assistants go through the sight and sound top 100 greatest films of all time list. I'm Greg. I'm Jackie. <laughs> Whoa, I'm choking on a... <laughs> I had a... Are you okay? I had a chocolate-covered uh, nut earlier. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just now choking on it? Because <laughs> you know, like, when you eat one of those and it, like, stays with you, like, totally. you'll be coughing, like, 30 minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> i can't say that's ever happened to me no they're like the trickiest too because they're so good so you just like eat them and eat them and eat them and then you're like stuck. coughing and yeah <laughs> anyway <laughs> hi jackie hi <laughs> we are here today to talk about our actually third genre oh noir my film. god you're right yeah because we did do rules of the game and day in the country yes it's our third Renoir. Yeah, Grand which, Illusion. Which makes him, I think, our, I think he's tied for Bergman because I think we've also done three Bergman films Seven Seal, Fanny and Alexander, and Persona. And we've only done two Godards. It's two too many. Yes. Um, so, yeah, you're right. Three. Three. Yeah. But what about Powell Pressburg? I think we've done two Powell Pressburgers. Yeah, so three for Renoir. So he's, he's tied with Bergman for oh, our yeah. most covered filmmaker interesting we're doing grand illusion this week uh, but awesome as we always do wait oh the number <laughs> do you know what number this is on the list this is number 73 on the 2012 list so we're back at the bottom of the list this week however on the newly minted 2022 list it's number 146 so it's no longer in the top 100 wow got bumped off yeah crazy I know. We're seeing a lot of these. It's it's been a trend. A lot of these like it's really really revered like textbook films getting bumped from yeah. the top 100. Yeah. Oh, because we'll talk about that in a bit. Until then, before then, uh, what have you <laughs> been watching, Jackie? That's not Grand Illusion. So since we did um, in the mood for love last week, I really wanted to watch The Hand. So I did. So The Hand is a short by Wong Kar Wai. It's like an hour. And it was part of this anthology movie called Eros, which also includes a short film by Steven Soderbergh and by Antonioni. So this is Wong Kar Wai's short in this. I didn't watch the whole movie because I didn't see it anywhere. Like the hand was just on its own. On the Criterion set, right? I didn't even watch it on the set. I watched it on the channel. Oh, I thought I think it's on the set. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it's really good because it combines two things i love from in the mood for love hands and clothing <laughs> it's all about hands and all about those dresses and it's sumptuous it's uh yeah if you like wong kar wai it's it's kind of like it's more it's like raunchier than in the mood for love but then again like 2046 is even i mean no, never mind. Fallen Angels is pretty raunchy. Yeah, yeah. But it's good if you like if you like the Wong Kar Wai style. I think you'll like it. Um I saw uh oh my god, I even I forgot to write it down. I saw the conformist for the first time uh at the American Cinematheque, and it's really good. 
and it's really beautiful like it's one of the best looking movies i've ever seen in my life which a lot of people say about it and now i know why um it's really interesting because it's like i think it came out in 70 right something like, like that something right like around that, there but like it is that classic like um gray 70s protagonist but like done in an italian way hmm. and it's yeah yeah it's i haven't seen really it really good um i saw titanic what's that <laughs> <laughs> it's this big boat um i saw titanic with you and molly i'd never seen it on the big screen and it was so fun like really really electric just seeing it with a crowd of people um and we don't get that we don't get like worldwide phenomena anymore and well uh, we do it's just a different type of movie um i guess yeah i mean but even even the types of movies today that are considered that they're still only seen by like a group of people like titanic is like for all like that really genre movie not genre that really like high concept movie that is just literally for everyone because like marvel movies aren't for everyone but like titanic so purely is that well it's the it's the historical epic it's yeah um and then we saw a little boy like there was this little boy in the crowd (laughs) it was his first time and he was talking the whole time like asking his mom questions his mom answering it was cute whatever and that was so nice to see. And then I did see Love Stream, the Cassavetes movie. Love and, Streams, yeah. Oh, is it Streams? Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought it was singular. How dare you? Um, <laughs> but I suppose, yeah, it's not a stream. It's the verb of yeah. stream. Uh-huh. Ah, and I really, really liked it. I liked it because as I was telling you before, the characters are so sad and so broken, but it really is like, it's one of his lighter movies. Um, there isn't this like heavy despair through it that a lot of, a lot of his other movies have. And I just love that it's them two together, Cassavetes and Jenna Rollins. And it seems like they had a lot of fun making it. And yeah. Yeah. I think it's pretty tonally ambitious, yeah. especially for him. I think so too. Uh, but that's what I've been watching. Cool. Uh, what have you been watching? Well, aside from seeing Titanic with you, honestly, in the car on the way home, I was like in such a weird mood. Like I wanted to start crying because I felt so bad for us now. Like, because look, I mean, look, Titanic has its issues and like the the dialogue isn't great. It's a little like you feel James Cameron getting off on some of the disaster stuff, like a little too much especially when there's like sparks behind them in slow motion or like yeah, Billy Zane has the, the gun. gun. Anytime Billy Zane is on screen. Yeah. It's like I mean, pretty he's, ridiculous. he's great in it, but in a ridiculous way, but like still we don't get that kind of scale, big Hollywood movie anymore I with know. that level of integrity because yeah, now that's only superhero stuff. And it made me really, really yeah. sad. I felt, like, I felt the same. Yeah. It's just like, that's such an absorbing movie. I and love it. It's so well done. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it just made me really sad. I, Me too. I listened to My Heart Will Go On all the way home, like on repeat, because <laughs> I just didn't want to leave. Like, I didn't want to leave that environment. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know how you feel. Uh, I also saw The Remains of the Day. Oh. The Merchant Ivory film, which is great, which is so good. Was it really good? Yeah, yeah. It's really nice. good with Anthony Hopkins and Emma Thompson. Yeah. Uh, I saw Comanche Station, which is a Western by Bud Bedeker. 
these this sort of famous cycle he did of westerns from the late 50s through the early 60s called the Ranone cycle where they all starred um randolph scott Mm -hmm. and i watched all five of them and honestly i don't really like them i don't really like them watch all five because i wanted to i think there's actually six in the cycle so i didn't even watch all six but like because they're renowned for being this bridge between the old-fashioned hollywood western and the more aggressive sort of spaghetti westerns of the 60s but i didn't really see a bridge at all i just saw some really stagey kind of sloppy movies And I had a conversation with my friend Felicia about this because she commented on my Letterboxd entry for the last movie, which I was a little bitchy like in my review. And she was like, oh, I, I like appreciate these as like the kind of like cozy Sunday afternoon movies that they are. And I was like, I, I totally get that. And if I if I just like seen it on TCM on one sleepy afternoon, I would have been like, oh, that's cute. But mm-hmm. I think because their reputation is like, these are formative Westerns. Mm. I'm like, no, like the Western was already up and running like 20 years before this you had john ford and howard hawks and stuff doing really cool things in the western space see i'm not a fan of the bud bedeker westerns uh i saw a short film called ice merchants which is actually up for the oscar this year for best animated shorts on Mm -hmm. youtube 15 minutes beautiful father son sort of um wordless poetic short about these ice merchants that live on this house on the hill beautifully animated it's, oh it's animated it's animated i'm really jealous because the guy his name is um Zhao gonzalez uh, the guy who wrote and directed it also did the music and the music is like incredible wow and he's like 26 years old wow <laughs> so it's like god damn it um so yeah i highly recommend that and then molly and i continued our star trek journey we just did star trek for the voyage home which judging by her reaction to the movie was probably her favorite so far because it's it's a comedy it's a silly fish out of water they go back to 1980s san francisco because they need to save the whales and uh, it's a delightful breezy good time and it's honestly hilarious like because they're playing it so straight but like because it's it's a comedy it's a comedy that's what i like about the star trek movies each movie can kind of do something different Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it's like the you know it's a it's a fan favorite, and I feel like that one even non Star Trek fans like the Voyage Home. Uh, but yeah, it was it was great to revisit that. Nice. So anyway, without further ado, let's just get into this week's film. Let's do it. From 1937, this is Jean Renoir's Grand Illusion. <laughs> was released in 1937. It was directed by Jean Renoir, co-written by Renoir and Charles Speck. Cinematography by Christian Matras, music by Joseph Cosma. During World War I, French officers Captain de Boldou and Lieutenant Marshal are shot down by a German plane and taken to a prisoner of war camp. There, they meet their colorful roommates, all French officers, who are digging a tunnel to escape the camp. 
The camp is pretty laid back, and they enjoy the fine provisions their rich roommate, Rosenthal, has sent for him from Paris. On the eve of their planned escape, it is announced that all the residents will be transferred to different camps. De Boldu and Marshall, along with Rosenthal, are moved to a camp that is headed by the German officer who shot them down in the first place, Rofenstein. Rofenstein and de Boldu get along great as they are both aristocrats and career soldiers. Eventually, the group plans their escape and de Boldu elects to cause a distraction so Marshall and Rosenthal can escape. Even though he is greatly sympathetic towards de Boldu and aims for the legs, Rofenstein kills him during the escape. Marichal and Rosenthal slowly make their way towards Switzerland. However, they find refuge with a widow, Elsa, who gives them food and shelter. Marichal and Elsa fall in love, but once they've gained their strength, he and Rosenthal continue their journey so they can return to their posts and hopefully end the war. The film stars Jean Gabin as Marichal, Pierre Fresnay as de Boldu, Eric von Stroheim as Rofenstein, Marcel Dalio as Rosenthal and Dita Parlo as Elsa. You might remember Dita Parlo from La Talente, a little movie that we did. And you might remember Eric von Stroheim as the director of Greed, a little and, film we did. Yes. And also from Sunset. Oh, we haven't done Sunset. We haven't, no. Another person from La Talente, did you recognize? No. So the guy who plays the husband, Jean Daste, is the former school teacher soldier guy. You didn't oh, recognize him? No. I saw him. I'm like, this guy looks so familiar. Oh, no. I kind of put La Talente out of my head. That's so weird. I The more I think about La Talente, the more I love it. Good. I, I wish you liked it. I don't dislike it. I'm just lukewarm. Lukewarm. Wow. So Joseph Goebbels, who was the head of propaganda in Nazi Germany, declared Grand Illusion as... Cinematic Public Enemy Number One. So this movie came out in 1937. Uh, but during World War II, the French government banned the film because they feared it would lower morale to fight the Germans. And then when the Nazis invaded France, they confiscated the prints. So the film was re-released in the 60s when a few prints were found, but the original was thought to be destroyed. In actuality, though, it was shipped to Berlin and then luckily enough was found and shipped back to France during the Allied occupation, but they didn't know what it was. And it just sat in storage for 30 years before they discovered it. And then they found the original print, which is so funny. Like so much of Renoir's stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. The film's original ending was going to feature uh, Rosenthal and Marichal making a pact that at the end of the war, at the end of the war, they would meet at Maxime's restaurant if they were both still alive, and the film would end with two empty chairs at an empty table, a la Lemis. <laughs> <laughs> empty chairs and empty tables. Don't. What do you think about that ending? That's yeah. Um, I kind of actually kind of love that. Do you? <laughs> yeah. I like it too. I think I'd be cool with that. But then I think it distracts from the main point of the movie. Well, yeah, we can talk about it. We'll talk about it. Let's get through specs. Eric von Stroheim, despite being born in Austria and emigrating to the US when he was 24, had trouble speaking German for the part. He was actually born with a monocle. 
Like he came out of his mother's womb and he had a monocle attached. Exteriors of Wintersborn, which is the second camp they go to. The uh, castle. You were shot. It was shot at a castle in Alsace in France, which I've always wanted to go to. How, do, you, do you know where Alsace is? It's like in the north. It borders like Germany. So it's kind of like it kind of looks like Germany, but it's it's like a fairy tale, fairy tale town. Oh. Like river running through cottages like it is really really cute other exteriors were shot at actual barracks in france the film was nominated for best picture in 1939 and nominated for the mussolini cup at the venice film festival what an honor (laughs) (laughs) boy initial thoughts yeah so this one loomed large i had never seen it before and again this is one of those like textbook movies you always hear about of like grand illusion grand illusion and like so i'd been meaning to see it for a long time and i knew it was kind of like a prison escape type of thing yeah which i'm always drawn to uh-huh. and um yeah I, I liked this i liked this so our history with with renoir actually the three renoirs we've done for this show are the only three that i've seen so we did rules of the game which i like but i'm not it doesn't speak to me like personally and i don't like i don't like think about rules of the game and then we did day in the country which is actually my favorite and i really liked we had a little bit of a split on that one uh Uh, and then this one my third so i think i still like (laughs) day in the country the best (laughs) i can see i'm like not looking at you right now because i can (laughs) feel the daggers that you're shooting Uh um but no i liked this i liked this a considerable amount i again it didn't make me rush to the rooftops and sing its praises and like mm-hmm. yodel down the, the valley but like in switzerland yeah in switzerland but like I, I liked it it was good and i think it took a really interesting approach in the fact that it's generally like a pretty nice movie like so nice the germans are not these yeah. like terrible oppressive people at least like the von stroheim character is like so sympathetic and you can tell that he's completely over the war and he just wants he's just doing his duty until it ends and yeah again that scene we'll talk about that in a second but um yeah i liked it i like the different approach it took it's not a prison escape movie and the fact that the, the escape is not a big showcase it's not like a big set piece really um no. and it's not about the details it's literally like they're digging a hole in the first camp yeah they're like okay they're gonna go through this tunnel yeah and then they're like nope you guys are changing camps like the day that they're about yeah. to break out and then they go to this castle which is a way cooler mm-hmm. prison mm-hmm. and then they just it literally comes to them making some rope and just going like descending down the rope yeah um off the side of the castle but of course there's so much more to it because... there's a distraction with the flutes yeah. and the paint but still I feel like in the way that you think about the great prison escape movies like um, The Great Escape or Escape from Alcatraz or something where or even the Bresson film, A Man Escaped. Mm-hmm. They all have escape in the title, I just realized. Um, yeah. Those are so much about the planning and the plotting, mm-hmm. every little detail of the escape. And the escape here is not the point. No. Um, which threw me, but in a good way, because I was expecting a more sort of um, traditional like prison escape type movie. But yeah, I liked I, again. I think the stuff with von Stroheim was the 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 peak of it for me in terms of his character. It's just fascinating, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I liked it. I liked the note it ended on. Although I can't help but think about that empty chairs, empty tables, uh, right? <laughs> ending, which I think would have been a nice little button at the end because it is generally pleasant. Like yeah. most of the film, 
no one's really being too mean to each other. <laughs> so it would have been a nice little button at the end. I think a nice little melancholic like mm-hmm. thing. Um, but I still I like the ending of this. It's... Do you know about Maxime's? No. So Maxime's is uh, featured prominently in Gigi. The... We were just talking about Gigi. Yeah, which is we? funny, yeah. right? We were just talking about it. He like goes the main guy in Gigi like goes to Maxime's all the time and like takes her to Maxime's when she's like coming out and it's like so it's I, a real place. I've heard Maxime so much because I've seen that movie so much. Um it's real. It's still open. Okay, it's still open, yeah. Um so it was nice to hear about it in this movie. Yeah. But I it's my dream to go there. It's obviously not as nice now as it was back then, but it really ended with world like its glory ended with World War One, I, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's been going downhill for like a hundred years. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I don't know about that. <laughs> now it's just a McDonald's. But now it's like, it, now it's probably just like really touristy. Right. Um, yeah. Cause even know. in the film and this takes place in world war one, they're talking like some people don't like Maxine. It's like, Oh yeah, you could go there. Like if yeah. you want. Yeah. I know. <laughs> You're not missing much. Yeah. It's like, it's like, you know, in midnight in Paris, like when they go back, back in time, when it's like can can like that's like maxime it's like belle époque and like that time which like ended with world war one but yeah yeah how about you i really like this i think this is my favorite of the renoirs we've watched and the renoirs i've seen and uh i just talked about last week how i really like these war comedies and this isn't like a comedy per se but it's just quite light and bubbly and, um, almost yeah yeah but it, it could be an example um yeah i think this movie rules like there's a lot to it and more than any of the other renoirs i i did connect with it um it, but it's such a tricky thing because i i love that nothing is really high stakes um i love that they're on a first name basis with their guard arthur who they just like i don't know I love the vaudeville guy so, so much. The little dinners they have, like with all those things that Rosenthal gets sent to him. It's just kind of a delightful hangout movie. Yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But with this like universal message of like peace and I don't know. I really liked it. Um, I thought immediately of Grand Budapest when they're especially when they're like eating the stuff that rosenthal gets sent to him because remember in grand budapest he has like the one pastry that he like splits with all his friends right and then they're of course digging a tunnel um oh right yeah yeah this yeah. has to be yeah a touchstone and let's for not that. forget paddington too which was influenced by <laughs> Grand Budapest. <laughs> also another little influence that had to have been was goodfellas in terms of like yeah, the how the, how well they're eating inside yeah. and yeah. like the detail on like yeah. what they're eating and all that stuff like yeah. in this movie it's foie gras and like yeah. mackerel and stuff yeah and even like when the stakes are higher during that escape there's like that silly flute that just turns it all into a game, you right, know? Right. And I like that about it. But that's the thing, like, like okay, you have life is beautiful, right? And that's like a quote comedy, but is actually really sad. Same with like Jojo Rabbit. Again, like quote comedy, but actually devastating. I didn't see Jojo Rabbit. But this movie, you didn't see it? No. But this movie, it's so weird because it like it stays pretty removed from emotions. And it's not even labeled a comedy, but it's the lightest of like those two, like war comedies. Yeah, it's not. Qu- yeah, it's it's not quite a comedy. And it, yeah, it's, not, it's just removed. It's just I light. Think the emotion yeah, yeah, yeah. is just removed. Even like at the end when he's in love with the um, 
the lady from Montalant, whose yeah. name is escaping me, Dita Parlo. Yep. Um, he goes, Rosenthal asks him, like, oh, are you in love with her? And he goes, I, I think so. I guess right. I'll come back after the war. Like, it's not nothing. No one is really too involved. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. I love even when they say goodbye to each other and they're like, oh, I'll see you later. And they, But it, they're like happy, you know? Yeah. Even though they're, they might be killed. And I just love the way it's shot. I love those long pans. I love like the push-ins, the push-out. Um, I think it's really beautifully shot. Mm-hmm. In like a non-showy way. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Agreed. <sighs> so those are my initial thoughts. Cool. The first thing I'm going to ask you. So like, let's talk about this whole humanist approach, right? Is it too nice? I know we talked a lot about how nice this movie is. Is it too nice? It's a good question. Um, I don't I, think so. Like you said, you wanted that button of empty chairs <laughs> and empty tables. Because it just would have added like a nice ba- counterbalance, right. I think. I agree. Like a little sting at the end. I agree. Um, yeah, I don't know. Is it too nice? I, I don't know. Like, he's sending a very clear message of like, we're all human and war is stupid and i really love how quickly it turns to the other side because you start with the french guys and then very quickly like within the first five minutes i think like you're in the bar the the german bar and i like how it's matched it's both their their two bars you know and mm-hmm. he even does a similar ca- like a camera move to match it lands on the ad in both bars do you remember that oh yeah uh-huh. i loved that yeah. and i thought that was really cool but no i mean it is something to consider. Is this movie too nice? I mean, this is pre World War II. Uh, it would have been reframed, I think, it's had crazy. it been made after World War II. Yeah, but um, it's almost like disarming how nice he cu- <laughs> this movie the German is. guy cuts his meat for him. Yeah, <laughs> he gets the meat. Yeah, and then what was that wreath thing? Speaking of that scene, you know how they're oh the clock. No, the wreath. They come in with like a wreath and oh, sure, Mark sure. Stroheim is like, oh, I'm so sorry you had to see that. Like, whoa, what? that went over my head. I thought it was like for I... them, like an apology for shooting them down or like a welcome. But they seem really shocked. I love that. That's one of my favorite tricks is like when a, um, a character is like looking at something off screen and you don't know what it is, but mm. you're like seeing them react. And then it was this wreath. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> it's from it's Home Bed. It's not ba- a welcome. It's from uh, Bed Bath & Beyond. I think it was like a wreath for another french person they killed or something like for the so funeral it was awkward yeah so it was like awkward for them to see i don't know yeah it's very posh they're very posh from the second like they shoot them down yeah because he's like invite them in yeah like, <laughs> you know what they say they say may the earth lie lightly on our valiant enemy <laughs> so like i guess it is farce really in a way like yeah it's like a very very subtle farce yeah you're right no you're right it's farce I wonder if something can be in a farce without being like an outright comedy. Right. Which is what this is. Yeah. Actually, the t- like tonally, I don't know much that kind of is in the same ballpark as this. I know. Because you're right. It has this, the, the removed stuff almost of like of a comedy, but it's not funny, funny. Yeah. Like, and it's it, it just does, nice. And it doesn't push it to extremes yeah. too. So exactly. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I love when they go to the first camp and uh, the rich French guy is like being searched and he gets mad. And the German that's searching him is like, this is war. And he goes, I perfectly agree, but conduct it cordially. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or no, he says courteously. Um, 
I like too when the main guy gets thrown in like the hole. It's just like yeah, it's still like there's a bed and there's still like (laughs) I know. And then like the German comes in and is like, "Why are you not eating? Like it's okay." And like sits down with him, gives him a harmonica, yeah, cigarettes, yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. It caught me off guard. Like the first thirty minutes of this movie caught like tonally caught me off guard until I like settled in and realized what it was doing. It's super unique. I think it all leads to, I think the scene when the Von Stroheim character shoots, what's the character's name? De so when he gets shot by him and he's in the bed and he's dying, that scene is the film for me. And yeah. Von Stroheim coming up to him and being like, I'm sorry. I'm really <laughs> sorry I had to shoot you. I was aiming for your legs. And the French guy's like, no, no, I'm sure you were trying to shoot my legs. But I was. it was a long distance and I was far away. You know, I was running. But that and, scene holds a lot of, yeah. And Von Stroheim's like, don't make excuses for me. Like, yeah. I meant to shoot your legs. And like them both talking about like the French guy's like, oh, well, now, you know, now this is how I get out of this is by dying. And Right. It's but, it's a beautiful scene, really, really beautiful yeah. of von Stroheim just like, look, I'm a guy, I'm a disabled officer who's just doing, who's following orders, but like, I respect that you're a person too, and like, yeah. I don't want to have to do this. His his hesitance too when he shoots him, yeah. like he really doesn't want to, yeah. and when he finally does pull the gun, you just see that beauty, the way he acts it too is like. It goes up and like he doesn't want to point it at him and he gives him like another second. Then finally the gun comes down. And even before he pulls the trigger, he gives him like another second. Yeah. <laughs> also, that guy barely seems bothered that he's about to get shot, too. He doesn't. So, well, here's the thing. Their relationship is very much about like class, right? They're yeah. both aristocrats. And that's why hmm. he cares about him. I so think much. Renoir is no stranger to this topic. I know. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, it's really complicated because. I think that the main French guy, de Boldu, like, and he even says, like, I'm not doing this for you. What I was reading when I read about this movie, like, it is very much about how this world of aristocrats is dying. And that's why they, like, kind of stick together, these two. But then this is his way out of this world. Like, he recognizes the world is changing. um, And this is, like, his way out instead of like having to adapt Mm, he's like mm -hmm. no i'm gonna wear my white gloves and i'm gonna die like this right because yeah you see i feel like we bring this show up too often but uh downton abbey yeah (laughs) exactly it's all about that gener. it's all about that class just kind of like fizzling out over the course of the show right Uh, i don't think this is a spoiler if you haven't seen it but like they start to they lose staff it becomes a smaller place yeah all the service people uh, get dwindled down because and times change. It's really sad to say, but the show before is better than it. Well, season three, but then some things happen in season three <laughs> that aren't related to the war. Um, anyway, no, but let's talk about the camp a little bit because I do want to talk more about like. Well, that's what. Oh, sorry, really quickly too, just to touch on that. That's what um, remains of the day is all about. It's like the last couple yeah. service people hanging on in like the 1940s. I love that. Yeah, anyway, I sorry. love that. Yeah, it's really good if you haven't seen it. Um, but the camp itself, I love how like do you do you remember when the the actual German soldiers are training with the first camp or the second the camp? first one oh, and yeah, like yeah. civilians are walking by and they're like oh poor boys yeah but yeah they're just like the ones training meanwhile the prisoners are just like having fun and putting on a vaudeville show they literally tell them enjoy like when they yeah. usher the prisoners into their room like enjoy enjoy yeah. yourselves <laughs> and it's so funny they say out there the children play soldiers and here the soldiers play like children that theater scene that pan oh, of great. every 
everyone just like trying on costumes, rehearsing. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, and I love, I love that vaudeville roommate they have. But He's actually from um, Rules of the Game. Oh, okay, yeah. He's the guy that um, has an affair with one of the maids. I think he's also, I don't know what he works. Well, I was going to say what department he's in. <laughs> <laughs> but he's also like on the staff. Do you remember him? Yeah, yeah, I remember. But I have to wonder too in this film, like, I'm not a huge history buff, so I don't know the answer to this, but I would assume that some of this stuff is complete. It's fantasy. Oh, like, it has this to did be. not I looked, happen. I looked it up. There were def- there was definitely like forced labor in these yeah. POW. They're not camps. putting on vaudeville shows. On, yeah. Where they're cross dressing too. They're which again, cross dressing. For, for the 19 teens. They're, yeah. <laughs> would have been frowned upon. Totally. And it's really brave of him to make a movie where the Germans are nice at this time. Like, yeah, World War II hadn't started yet, but it was like just on the verge. Yeah, Hitler was rising to power. Yeah. Um, It's so brave of him, yeah, to make these POW camps that are just like stupid little hangouts for the sake of keeping up the image of war or the illusion. And then in uh, 39, I believe 39 was Rules of the Game, and we talked about our episode for that. Yeah, They lost some of the crew members when the war war. started yeah yeah yeah. so it's like yeah the grand illusion is nations and the whole like lax condition of the camp is just an example that like nations don't matter or like borders human borders don't matter but it's just so brave of him to do it right before the war Mm -hmm. um i love the geranium plant that von stroheim has what nothing I sense we'll be returning to this plan. <laughs> but no, so, okay, so there's like that illusion, right? And then there's also this illusion of like class and race, which is more interesting, more complex because it's not as cut and dry as like war is bad. All humans are like, everyone is human, you know? It's it's more complicated because like we uh, we talked about de Bourdieu and the Von Stroheim character and their monocles. Notice how they both have monocles. I mean- the monopoly man but um and then you have rosenthal who's this like new money jewish banker but he's super generous and shares his meals with everyone and yeah it's i don't know yeah (laughs) yeah but the vaudeville yeah like there's a vaudevillian there's a teacher the main guy Marshall, is like a engineer i think no he was a mechanic and it's just interesting that he feels closer to rosenthal than his own well i mean they're all french but like he feels closer to rosenthal even though rosenthal's probably richer than de bourdieu Mm -hmm. de bourdieu is just like old money aristocrat classic gentleman and we talked about how like why um de bourdieu sacrifices himself and but you know what's interesting actually i found this out while I was reading about it, there's kind of a mistranslation. Uh, so the scene where um, Marshall and de Baudu are like talking about what's going to happen and he's washing his gloves mm-hmm. and he goes like, oh, we have nothing in common actually. So there's something about like, why do you, he says, we've been together 18 months. Why do you always, why do you always have to stand on like, what does he say? Basically he says like, Oh, Sarah, he says, why we've known each other 18 months. Like, why do you always have to like stand on ceremony? But what he's actually saying um, is, why do you use vu instead of tu? So like vu is the formal way of saying you mm, and mm-hmm. tu is the familiar. And he goes, I use vu with my mom and my wife. 
that's what Debuldu says. And that's when he's like, wow, like we have nothing in common. Oh. Which is so much better than the translation in the Criterion version that I watch. Yeah, I think it's one of those things too. Oh, it's important to note that this is Criterion spine number one. Shut up. Yeah. Really? Number one. Wow. But I do know it's not on Blu-ray and I also watched it on the channel and you can tell it's kind of an older print. And so I'm assuming that at some point Criterion will go back and remaster it. And I'm sure they'll, they usually redo the subtitles when they do that. So yes. yeah, I could, they, they felt a little clunky overall, not speaking much French uh, myself, but, or if any, <laughs> but like, yeah, the, the subtitles you could tell were like a little clunky, but that's a really nice, like, yeah, that kind piece of, of dialogue. Yeah, yeah, that elevates it. Um, yeah. But then, of course, there's the black soldier who they all ignore. So it's like, yeah, like they don't pay him any attention. He comes, he's like painted something. No one gives a shit. And it's very intentional. Like it, you can't brush that off. Like when I saw that, I was like, oh shit, like he's going there, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, so now there's like this new illusion. It's like they think that they're all like together and nice, but actually even the main characters are like kind of racist. Right, right. Which mm -hmm. makes it so much more interesting. Yeah, that's another layer. Yeah, like they, they they think they've beat their own racism and classism because, oh, they love Rosenthal, at least like Marshall. But then he's a dick to the black guy. Yeah. I don't know. I thought that was really, really interesting. Let's talk about Elsa. I love that scene. I love the Christmas. I love that doorway shot. The door. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Doorway. It's yep. gorgeous. Yeah. No, I love that too. It's um, and again, it kind of uses like the cinematic shorthand because they arrive and they immediately like they don't know her attention intentions. Mm -hmm. She doesn't know theirs, and then the Germans, the Germans show up, and um, then it cuts, and you've you've jumped months into the future, probably. Yeah, I'm assuming. Um. And yeah, and they're just all familiar and it's one big like it's happy family. Cute. But it just it works well in the way that, you know, you can jump forward in time sometimes and not and feel like you've been there with mm -hmm. her for mm -hmm. like a good chunk of the film, but in reality it's probably what, like 15, 20 minutes? Mm -hmm. Maybe fifteen. Yeah. If even. Yeah. So I love all that stuff too. I love it and I love how even she's like, Yeah, war's really stupid. Look at my husband who died yeah. and my brothers who died, all in battles that we won. Yeah, and it's like the irony of that. So, do you think not knowing about that empty chairs, empty tables ending, <laughs> does he come back for her after I don't the war? Think so, yeah, I don't think so either. I think that was just like a very French thing of him to do. Yeah, like, I think so too. Return, I don't think they genuinely seem in love. I think they just kind of like we're both there, and uh, you know, we're both we're, there. We're feeling and feelings. Lonely, yeah. yeah. No, totally. Let's talk about like these pans a little bit. So I like the way that it's super fluid and I love when it like moves in on a character or a setting and it's like it works on emotion, humor, irony, like it's doing it's doing a lot of the heavy lifting, I think, that the, the camera work. Um, the prisoners, when they first get to the camp and you see like everyone's face, that's a classic. Um, I love, like I said, that theater one is so, so, so great. Yeah. And even... I love when they have the one guy dress up as a woman and then it's quiet. It's like the first, it's the, the silence, only pen yeah. that's silent and yeah. you just see everyone's face. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. I loved that one. I think Renoir often gets credit, like rightfully so as, as 
such an innovator of the moving camera. Yeah. And he does it he subtly. Does it really well. He does it subtly, but it is kind of always moving. And it's panning and it's pushing in and pulling back. Yeah. And- yeah. Like when um when he comes back from the hole and it's the hole. Like the the Right. The, the what's it called? Solitary confinement. Yeah. And it's a close on him and then it like pulls out. I don't know, it just works. Yeah. And then there's another really good one where First of all, when that vaudevillian guy is singing and it's like going in and out, in and out. And then finally, like you see the Germans on the side. That one's really, really good, too. Yeah. And then, of course, they have the French national anthem. They mm-hmm. did it before Casablanca. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's a really good pan, too. That one's really long. Well, there's another one, but I might. <laughs> Actually, no. Hmm. There's also it's not a pan, but just the amazing shot of that guy performing from behind it's like been imitated or i don't know who was the first to do it but i feel like i've seen that shot so much mm-hmm. and i wonder if this was like it must have been like one of the early iterations of it Maybe. you know what i'm talking about him from behind and you can see everyone looking at him mm-hmm. um yeah the, the cabaret shot or something. exactly it's like Maybe cabaret or chicago yeah how dare you how what? dare you? How dare you bring up a Rob Marshall movie in a conversation about Renoir? Honestly, Jack. I'm Jackie. just saying. I'm just it reminds kidding. me of Mr. Cellophane. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> you know what else I actually really loved? Another or uh, opening night, Jenna Rollins. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, um, what were we going to say? I loved when it's Christmas and they wake up Lottie. And she's they're like they're leading her into the room. With Baby the Jesus scene. has come. Yeah, I love when Rosenthal is like my ancestor. <laughs> yeah. So good, but there's a pe- there. It's following her moving into the room, and it loses focus for like a good few seconds. But it's so beautiful. Uh, like, yeah, like I'm sure it was probably a mistake. I know, but, but it I adds, know. but it adds to it. But yeah. I still loved it. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. oh, like. I don't know. There was a very definite charm about it losing focus. It's so funny. Like, we're all so concerned about focus, focus pulling and everything. And then something about this mistake in this movie I just love. Yeah. No, I noticed that too. It it added a nice little... Because things like that make... Little mistakes make it feel more real, more authentic. I think it's beautiful. There's that story in Punch Drunk Love, not to always bring up PTA, but... There's a scene where it's like a, a handheld camera and it's the scene where Ad- Adam Sandler's calling like the phone sex hotline and he's like oh, sitting yeah. on his couch. And there's a scene like when they were first filming it, the camera operator accidentally bumped like the steady cam. So yeah. it had this huge swipe. Uh-huh. And then Paul's like, just do that every take. So literally from each take on, they just like hit the camera and it would like. It's so funny. But yeah, there's about those imperfections in a I film. I love them. Yeah. Should we do sight and sound? Yeah. You know, this is a film like. I strangely don't have like a lot to say about it. I enjoyed it's very my, layered. It's very layered, and I enjoyed my time with it, um, and would watch again. Um, but I just like don't have a lot on yep. my mind. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. You want to do sight and sound? Is there well, anything we're missing? About, I think we should talk about von Stroheim a little. Oh yeah, yeah. So we we did set him up in our episode on greed, but um interesting figure because he was started off as a filmmaker he was mm-hmm. a director and mm-hmm. did greed if you haven't heard our greed episode jackie will tell you otherwise but i think the movie <laughs> is absolutely worth a watch even if it is like four hours long <laughs> four hours was it four hours still photos no it's only like half still photos oh my god um, it's more than half 
Well, it's because they were missing the footage, so it's like a recreation. Anyway. It's not a movie. So his directorial career was tragic because that stuff, again, Greed was this, for people who did see it in its original like eight-hour form, were like, this is the greatest film ever made. Again, <laughs> these are people saying this in like 1924 yeah. or whatever. But um, yeah, it was sadly butchered and lost. And yeah. so what we have is what we have. And I think... I, I'm not quite sure the other films that he made, but I think they had like suffered a similar fate in mm. terms of like stuff was taken away or recut or whatever. So he was Orson Welles before Orson Welles. Yeah. Well, speaking oh, of Orson Welles. Yeah. Orson this- Welles, when asked like what movies he would take on the arc if he had to, Grand Illusion was. Was it Grand Illusion and Stagecoach? Was Stagecoach the other I one? No. I just know Grand Illusion was one of them. Yeah. I think the other one might be Stagecoach. I could be wrong. I know he loves that movie. Um, but yeah, so Eric von Stroheim again then turned to acting mm-hmm. and is most famous for his role in Sunset Boulevard as her um, chauffeur, as her valet. Or he's like, he's Who a was a director. He was a director. Movie. That's very meta. I yeah. love that. Um, but yeah, again, another famous role of his is yeah. in this movie. And his eyes are so dark. Like he has really dark under eyes. And it works so well. Well, it's funny because he has the face of a villain. Totally. And not in Sunset Boulevard, if you haven't seen it, we're not going to spoil it. But he, he's creepy. He's mysterious and creepy. Yeah. And in this movie, he's like genuinely good natured. And interesting bit of casting too, especially because you know he has the monocle, and then he has he's he's burned all over, which is why he wears these gloves and, and stuff. Brace. And he has this brace that like holds his. So he's almost like Batman before Batman could turn his head. <laughs> yeah. Like there's that hilarious scene where he goes to take a shot when whatever yeah, his name yeah, is dying. Yeah. And he exactly. has to move his whole body yeah. as he takes the yeah. shot because he cannot turn his yeah. head independently from his body. But it, yeah, it adds that like, it adds a, a almost mechanical quality to him. Yeah. Like I almost think of like the Tin Man from Wizard of Oz totally. or something. Or like Robocop. Like yeah. there's that, he just can't move. Yeah. Because he's a stiff aristocrat. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's good natured, but he's also kind of a dick. Like barely. Like he, huh? Barely. I mean, he's pretty like open about his dislike of like Rosenthal and That's true. the poor. <laughs> I feel like as as far as like as far as German officers that are running POW camps go, like he's he's the fairy tale. He's the, he's the fairy man. godmother, yeah. <laughs> like he might as well be singing bibbity boppity boop. It's true. It's true. <laughs> yeah (laughs) i feel like even then too when they finally escape from his castle he barely like yeah he sends like the dogs and stuff after him but we never see any progress that's made on that front like they escape and then they're just gone they're gone and but their biggest danger is like yeah the cold and rosenthal hurts his leg and they fight i love that fight they have that argument they have like against the swiss alps oh yeah, yeah i love that scene yeah and then I love when they they reunite like right after, but <laughs> I do love it. Yeah, no, I like that the the film shifts in, shifts gears in that moment because then you do get this like a little stretch of like a survival story exactly. about these two men who are fed up with each other and Rosenthal's yeah. like on crutches or whatever. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah, I love Rosenthal. Yeah, do you even see them like sleeping next to each other, like mm-hmm. hunkered down mm-hmm. and like starving? And yeah. they talk about him eating his buttons off of his yeah. coat. Yeah. <laughs> Like, wait, you guys could find some like leaves and berries. Literally. <laughs> and they're eating sugar cubes. I mean, I get that. This reminds me of um 
like we talked about how in Colonel Blimp is like a war movie with zero war. This is like another classic example, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. Or Paths of Glory. Yes. Paths of Glory has one battle, though. That's true. Um, um, yeah, yeah. No, interesting. Yeah, because when we did Apocalypse Now, we brought up how Coppola kind of regretted like he intended for that to be an anti-war film but he's like can you really be anti-war if you're like showing it exactly in these sort of glorious compositions which that film does yeah and yeah no this is an anti-war film that uh does not show any action yeah which i love there's another one too yeah colonel blimp and there was another film i don't think we did for the podcast but it's like oh come and see come and see come and see oh my god come and see but come and see has like guns and stuff like yeah there's just yeah there's no traditional like battle scenes in that or anything it's all about what's happening on the fringes with like the villages and belarus and stuff like that if if you have not seen um i'm talking to our listeners obviously i'm sure you've heard of come and see but if you have not seen come and see dear god dear god what a film also, it's its companion film, The Ascent, mm-hmm. Larissa Shepiko's film, who was married to Klimov, who did Come and See. Mm. So this husband and wife team each made these their like own version of it. Yeah, that's their own version of the films. Both films incredible. The Ascent is nearly as incredible as Come and See. Wow. Um, but both just like searing, important, uh, incredible films. Yeah. Yeah. How did we get on this topic? Oh, anti-war films. Anti-war. <laughs> well, it started yeah. with Von Stroheim's eyes. Right. And then we ended up here. <laughs> you know, he lied. I don't know if I mentioned this during our greed episode, but when he came to America, he lied and said he was an aristocrat. He made up his last name. Yeah, I think you did mention that in the yeah. episode. Yeah. And like he's playing an aristocrat in this, which yeah. is iconic. He was act- in reality nothing but a pauper. Exactly. <laughs> Pretending to be a prince. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to do sight and sound yeah what's your favorite sight i think we have the same one oh, it is the reveal of rofenstein's yes room in yes. the church yes what a shot like so complex so many moving parts that flower the flower i love his stuff laid out you could see his like belts and everything his book like whatever book he's reading a picture frame and and then it lands on him actually in the scene drinking coffee and he's been there the whole time and you didn't know i think that's my favorite shot i actually have a different one it's later after they escape and after he's already shot whatever his name is Mm -hmm. (laughs) both do yeah and uh, he clips like the flower off of the thing because it's snowing outside. It's snowing yeah. right outside his window. And he approaches and he just talked about this geranium being the only living thing in the castle. And he goes up and clips it probably for a funeral service or something. Aww. Or maybe he's just going to put it behind his ear. <laughs> it's like a little aloha flavor. But uh, Oh, my God. Yeah. Do you think they were in love? Oh, <laughs> wow. Maybe. I don't. I don't. You don't think so? I just threw that out there. No, I think it's very much he's making this statement of like, look at these aristocrats and look at these poor people. They could have been. I mean, yeah. That would have spiced theory, it up a little. That would. Um, <laughs> what about sound? My favorite sound is in the beginning when you were introduced to him, the Eric von Stroheim character, and he's, he's just shot them down. Yeah. And he comes in and on a gramophone nearby, you hear a Strauss piece. It's um, Kunsterlieben. Mm-hmm. which is from Opus 316. But wow. it's it's a famous piece, but uh, I just love it. And I love you can kind of hear it in the background. It just sets the scene for when mm-hmm. you first meet him. Here's a clip. Musik! 
Zum Wohl, Herr Richter. Glückwunsch. Prost, Meier. Prost. Reiter. Sie müssen eine famosen Bohlen ansetzen. Das meint zwölf. Das muss doch anständig begossen werden, nicht wahr? Sehr gerne, Herr Rittmeister. Also, drei Murgel, drei Wein, zwei Wein, zwei Martell, Nice. I love Strauss. I'm a big Strauss boy. Wow. <laughs> I love that for you. Yeah. I just, I love a good waltz. Who doesn't love a good waltz? Have you ever waltzed? Honestly, like, sadly, danced? no. I have never like properly waltzed. You should take a waltz. You know class. what? That's a good idea. You would love it. That's a great idea. <laughs> when I was a kid, this is so embarrassing. I don't know. How, okay. I'm just going to go for it. When I was a kid, I was in like sixth or seventh grade and I was in a play. I was in a, yeah, uh, I forget which one this was. I think it was a Midsummer Night's Dream, but there was a girl in the play with me. I was playing Puck. I think she was playing, um, wait, Hermes? I don't remember. I forget the character's name, but uh, I had a big crush on her and uh, I used to just like, I would go home and I would like, put on like the strauss waltzes because my mom had like a best of strauss like waltz <laughs> cd and i'd put it on and i would fantasize about like being in like the 18th or 19th century <laughs> with her like waltzing like by candlelight like in this grand ballroom <laughs> never told her i never even told her i liked her <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> how old were you it was like sixth or seventh grade who fantasizes about that in sixth or seventh grade <laughs> <Me>. <laughs> Oh my god, yeah. that's incredible! She'll never know. Maybe I'll tell her when I'm like. Maybe 60. she's listening. <laughs> no, she's, she doesn't know who she is. So I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna give any clues. Well, but, if uh, they were, if she was in Midsummer Night's Dream with you, she's gonna know. Well, there was you know a handful of people in that production. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure if she's listening, she knows. I hate to break it to you. I'm sure she's not listening. That is so funny. Like you, like Beauty and the Beast. Like you want her to like come down the stairs and like. No, well, we weren't balls. alone. It, it was like it was almost like the the balls in the uh, the War and Peace film, like the four part War and Peace film of like these huge grand balls with all these people, oh, like cavernous so ballrooms with huge chandeliers. I love it. And that was my fantasy. Yeah, there's. It's better when other people are around. Because then you have a secret, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think <laughs> you know if I mean? it's just the, getting really, if like, it's just the two of if you, if it's just waltzing, Beauty and the Beast, yeah, if it's you a little guys weird. are the only, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want more people because you want to hide how crazy you are about the other person from the other people around, yeah. like in War and Peace. Yeah, and I think too, like <laughs> people are looking at you, you're looking at other people. There's just the electricity <laughs> in the air. <laughs> this is so funny. I'm sure everyone just I smells love, like candles. And, I love that fantasy of yours. Yeah. You should take a waltzing class. Yeah. You and Molly, how cute. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I would love to learn how to waltz. <laughs> I've like square danced and I've done. Square oh, oh no, 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 not square dancing. Line dancing. Okay. That's but like, worse. no, no, no. Like, uh, like 18th century line dancing. Oh. Yeah. I've done that. But, 18th century line dancing? Yeah. Maybe 19th century. Are you, I was going to say maybe 19th century. I'm sure they were still doing it in the 18th, but let's say 19th century. Yeah. But no, I've taken, I've we've done that. That's fun. But like, no, waltzing, Is no. your dream to like be in like a, like a white tuxedo and like bow to the girl before you well, like take is, her arm I mean, or you offer know your me. arm? 
I'm like, I love being comfortable. And like, so my standard thing is like shorts and a t-shirt or something, which I'm in literally right now. And it's like 40 degrees outside. But like, that stuff is uncomfortable. But like, sure, I love the look of it. (laughs) Like, like I I love getting dressed up, but I also hate getting dressed up. It's a love-hate thing because it's uncomfortable. And then when you get home, like, you cannot wait to take it off. But you rarely do it. So I think you can make an exception for the ball. Okay. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. Every film I go to, I dress up in a tux. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's great. Yeah. What's your favorite sound? sound? (laughs) Not as fun. (laughs) Um, My favorite sound is when he's... Ruffenstein is about to shoot De Boldu and... They speak English to each other. And I was trying to figure out, like, why are they speak? Why are they randomly cutting into English? And then I read somewhere it's like, oh, because they're aristocrats, they speak all these languages. And that's like one language they know no one else can understand mm. around them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, he says, like, don't be stupid. And then he, Dibaldu says, or no, Rofenstein offers to him, like, come down and I'll forget about all this. And then Dibaldu says this. It's damn nice of you, Ravenstein. But it's impossible. Nice. I know, it's just a classic line. And yeah, I like yeah. that it was in English. I don't know. It was just so unex- unexpected. And the fact that he says, like, damn nice of you. And mm-hmm. I just liked it. Yeah, it's nice. A nice little line. <sighs> Letterboxed. Pauline. Oh, I forgot. Let's not jump the gun here. I'm sorry. <laughs> How could you forget about Pauline? She Jackie? probably loves this movie. Okay. You ready, Beth? You ready for this? Yeah. Pauline Kale. Review from 1961. In form, La Grande Illusion is an escape story. Yet, who would think of it this way? It's like saying Oedipus Rex is a detective story. The great work transcends the usual categories. La Grande Illusion is a perceptive study of human needs and the subtle barriers of class among a group of prisoners and their captors during World War I. In cinema, there's the artistry that brings the medium alive with self-conscious excitement, like Eisenstein's Potemkin or Orson Welles' Citizen Kane. And there's the artistry that makes the medium disappear, like Grand Illusion or De Sica's Shoeshine. La Grand Illusion is a triumph of clarity and lucidity. Every detail fits simply, easily, and intelligibly. There is no unnecessary camera virtuosity. The compositions seem to emerge from the material. It's as if the it's as if beauty just happens. Mm-hmm. Is it necessary to state that this unobtrusive artistry is perhaps the most difficult to achieve? The characters, the dialogue, the fortress, the farm, the landscape, all fuse into the story and the theme. The result is the greatest achievement in narrative film. What? <laughs> it's a little embarrassing to state this so baldly, but La Grande Illusion, like like Renoir's earlier but very different Partie de Campagne, which is also day in the country, it's just about a perfect work. In fact, I can't find a flaw in it. Wow. There was no reason for there was no reason for Renoir to tap this vein again. His next great work was the tragic comic Carnal Chase Rules of the Game, which accelerates in intensity until it becomes a macabre fantasy. So wow. Pauline literally saying it is just about a perfect work. But she's also saying that about uh, Day in the Country. How do you feel about that, Jackie, who doesn't even think it's a real movie? I mean, it's not. <laughs> I do. I don't. I mean, I don't think uh, Day in the Country is perfect, but I like that's that's the one for me. And you know I why? Think this one's the one for me. I think because of the narrative simplicity of, of Day in the Country. Although, I mean, all three of his films. This is super simple. Yeah, this is simple and actually Rules of the Game is pretty simple. Rules of the simple Game too. is the most complex. It has it's, the most characters, yeah, most plot lines. It's more of an ensemble thing, but. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, no. This, I mean, this is simple. This is simple. But I think, I think because Day in the Country is so laser focused into this very specific like afternoon. Yeah, I just I like his telling his storytelling when it kind of like unfolds almost in like real time. Yeah, but no, this is still great. And Pauline <laughs> said it was the best narrative film. This is the result is the greatest achievement in narrative film. That's what she said. That's a quote from Pauline. But again, she wow. said this in 1961. But still, so you know, this is pre. Uh, there were great movies before. This is pre Baby's Day Out, pre <laughs> the Flintstones film, <laughs> Viva Rock Vegas. So who knows? She might have changed her mind later. I wouldn't bet on it. I, you know what? I bet by the time that Pauline retired, I don't know that she would still agree with that statement. No, I don't think so. Because she's obsessed with Nashville. She's obsessed with Nashville. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now it's letterbox time. Yay. Okay, I've got a full five star review here. And it's mostly for this first sentence. A warm fireplace of a movie. And unusually for a movie like this, its influences stretches farther than you might think. I see its DNA in much less serious movies like The Great Escape and whatnot, just as one example. I just love the the sentence, a warm fireplace of a movie. That's very you. (laughs) No, did I write that? (laughs) Um. Two stars. Orson Welles said this is one of two movies he would take with him on the arc. But the guy also never saw Ratatouille. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> um, got a two-star review here. I suspect legendary filmmaker Jean Renoir never expected his shitty movie to get flamed by a 22-year-old college student on this app, nor did he ever live to see the day of smartphone applications. But nevertheless, I didn't care for your movie. It was really boring, and I wish I never watched it. Suck it, Jean. Oh, my God. Five stars. The woman who sat next to me at the screening of this reminded me of why I love cinema. She was smiling from the moment the credits started and didn't stop until the end of the movie. And oh man, it was the cutest thing ever. The man on the other side of me beat his hand on his chest in time with each song and was also the cutest thing ever. Goes on, but I just thought that that was very sweet. Um, It reminded me of our Titanic experience. (laughs) It reminded me of being in like film classes, like when we, because they'd show us in like a movie theater. Mm-hmm. And like when I saw like 400 Blows or whatever, like just that you would, you would just be smiling from the beginning till mm-hmm. the end. And it's like such a special experience. Yeah. I have a one star review here. It's my last one. As far as illusion movies go, I prefer Now You See Me. <laughs> um, This is my last one too. No stars, but it says, my favorite World War One film with a drag routine in the middle of it. So far. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that that's the only one. I don't think that it is, actually. Name another one. I think, you know, I haven't seen it, but I think the Visconti film, The Damned, I oh. think does. Really? I could be wrong. Yeah. Hmm. Um, okay. But yeah. Anyway, this was Grand Illusion. This was our third, probably final Jean Renoir. I think so too. Um, certainly on the list. I can't even name another Renoir film. Me neither. Yeah. <laughs> That's bad. I feel like Jean Renoir, like, I like his movies, but something about him is not, like, really. That's how I feel like, about this film. Hitting me. No, I know. That's I how don't I f- know what it. Maybe it's the language barrier. No. I'm going to nix that. But they're very like dialogue based. Like like what I just said, that whole like uh, translation mishap, subtitle mishap. I don't know. 
Yeah. Visually, no. I mean, yeah, they're really great, but they don't feel that like incredible, incredible to me. Like there's some moments in this that were very, very cool. I don't know. I can't quite put my finger on it. I more or less agree with you. I do think like obviously they're they're so formative because this film for 1937 it's is pretty incredible. crazy. Yeah. yeah. Again, this is just like seven years into the sound era. That's crazy. So on that front, yes. But I do agree with you. Like I've never been kept up at night thinking about Renoir. Yeah. And I have about lots of other filmmakers, even from this time. Yeah. Um, but and I appreciate his films. Like I've liked each of them. Me too. But I just, yeah, like the love isn't completely there. And I don't, I'll, like you, I don't quite know why. I know. It's like an intangible thing. I know. It's really <laughs> weird. Yeah. Maybe it's because like we don't recognize these act. They're not like, it's one thing if you're watching like an old movie and then you see like an actor you've seen a million times before. Oh, I knew Von Stroheim. But it, it's, well, yeah. And Jean Gabon too. Yes. I don't know. I, I don't even think it's that because I fall head over heels in, for movies all the time where I don't know the cast. But it's just like this That's true, indescribable so I. thing. I know. It's weird. What are we doing next week? Next week. This is a big one, Jackie. This is our second Kurosawa. It's probably... It's right up there with Seven Samurai. This is Rashomon, which mm -hmm. is a completely different film from Seven mm -hmm. Samurai. But almost more famous? Which one would you say is more famous? Seven Samurai. You think so? Yeah. I feel like when you take an intro to film class, the very first film on the syllabus is Rashomon. Really? I feel like... I feel like Rashomon is taught more frequently in film school than Seven Samurai. Oh, I wouldn't know. Maybe they're I tied. Didn't go I don't to film know. School. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I dropped out. So, um, yeah, no, this is a it's a big deal. You've cool. seen? Have you seen this? I've never seen. Oh, <gasps> you've never seen Rashomon? No. Oh my I didn't go to god. Film school. <laughs> oh, Jackie, it's good, and it's like ninety minutes too. Nice. It's nice and short. There's a lot of good rain in here. A Ooh. lot of good rain. What do the kids say these days? Sheesh. <laughs> I've never heard a child say that. Wait, you don't know about that? No. Sheesh? Are it's a thing. With me? Jackie, I swear to God. Wait, you have not heard that? Sheesh? What's sheesh? Okay, that's like the trend. Kids going, sheesh. I'm never around children. I don't know. Well, like Gen Z. Oh. The news to me. I don't know. Oh. Wow. You're officially old now. Jackie. I know. Does it feel good though? A little bit. Yeah, sheesh. It's been that way for like a year or two. Sheesh. How have I never heard this? Maybe it's because <laughs> I'm not on TikTok. Yeah, yeah. I think it's on TikTok a lot. I've heard people say it in real life too. Anyway, <laughs> come back next week. Come waltz with us next week. Well, there's no waltzing in that one. But in the meantime, you can waltz <laughs> to some Strauss. Um, so yeah, come back for Rashomon. It's going to be a great episode. Until then, I'm Greg. I'm Jackie. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Seen and Heard is an official podcast of the Arroyo Film Club, featuring Greg Kleinschmidt and Jacqueline Postagian. Theme music by Andrew Cox. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. If you have any questions, comments, or you just want to say hi, email us hello at seenandheardpod.com or visit our website, www.seenandheardpod.com.